it's important for the neurosurgical community to realize something that Michael Porter at the Harvard Business School has written, which is that philanthropy to a foundation like the NREF is not charity. It's an investment in the improvement of our specialty. Welcome to the Nursery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome today to the Neurosurgery Podcast. We are very fortunate to be recording with Mike Groff. Mike Groff is a, is a good friend of mine. He's the Director of Spine at the Brigham and Women's Hospital at Harvard Medical School. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot, Mike. Now, Mike, we've known each other for a long time, and today we wanted to focus on something very specific, which was uh, NREF, which is the Neurosurgery Research and Education Foundation. And you've served in the halls of NREF for, for quite a long time now, uh, over a decade, I think, and now you're uh, essentially chair and director of NREF, which resides sort of within the AANS, right? So tell us a little bit about the, um, the history of how this came about why we have such an organization and how it is related maybe to AANS. Yeah, thanks, Mike. And, and thanks again for inviting me to be here. It's a pleasure. Um, I think NREF started way back when uh, with the idea that uh, neurosurgeons needed access to uh, funding for uh, research that they were pursuing and uh, that the educational mission was paramount. And so uh Back in the day when Griffith Harsh was at the helm and running NREF, um, these ideas began to uh, coalesce into a group that was really a subset and housed very much within the uh, the uh, auspices of the AANS. And as things have evolved, uh, this original idea has become more and more mature. Uh, Dr. John Robertson really had a vision for what NREF could become and uh, formalize things. And uh, then this was taken on by Reg Hayde and I think taken even to the next level. And along the way, what's happened is uh, AANS leadership got the idea that things like NREF and the NPA should have a little bit more autonomy so that uh, what was once all housed under the roof of the AANS, now is looked at as uh, three uh, legs of a stool with uh, NREF, NPA, and AANS all fulfilling different parts of the mission for organized neurosurgery. And so, Dr. Groff, what are some of the ways that the NREF contributes to research supporting both um, attending neurosurgeons and even residents or medical students around the country today? Well, I think, you know, taking a step back, the, the important thing to recognize is that NREF really exists to improve the, the quality uh, of neurosurgical care for our patients. So really, mm-hmm. it's, it's where the rubber meets the road is how all of us as a neurosurgical community take the best possible care of our patients. 
And then as you uh, allude to, there's obviously a component of the mission that has to do with research, and there's a component of the mission that has to do with education. So research fellowship grants and young clinician investigator awards are are vehicles that we've been uh, pursuing and, and had in place for a long time. And uh, then more recently, outreaches into things such as medical student uh, summer research fellowships, um, the cardiovascular traveling fellowship uh, have been avenues for you know both residents and young attendings to get uh, more involved. Yeah, Mike, I, I love that you sort of cover the broad scope and mission of NREF, but let's just back up a little bit because, you know, the um, maybe some of our listeners don't know how expensive it is to do research clinical or basic science. And I've, I've uh, been very impressed by how philanthropic neurosurgeons can be. We had a nice uh, podcast with Dr. Barth Green talking about the Miami Project and his work in Haiti. And I think neurosurgeons, you know, we're privileged, right? We're, we're lucky to, to generally have a, a control of our environment and, and very high incomes. I'm always impressed by how generous some neurosurgeons can be, but also impressed by how more people could be involved, right? More people could, could, could give to this kind of foundation. Maybe you can tell us about why maybe neurosurgery is unique in this realm. In other words, we get it. There's an OREF, an Orthopedic Research and Education Foundation, and internal medicine has research needs. But neurosurgery is a small specialty. We're 1% of doctors. But somehow research and, and, and some of these educational missions seem to play larger in our field at a relative per capita level. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. I think that we are a unique breed. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. And, and the this sort of quintessential vision of the neurosurgeon being the Top Gun fighter pilot uh, who gets it all done on their own. I mean, that that image is there for a reason, and there's certainly truth to it. But there's also truth to the fact that we advance together as a community, and uh, we are, you know, fortunate for the the skills that we bring to the table. But we're also fortunate for the environment that nurtures us and is gotten us to the point where we are. And I believe more and more as a community, we're uh, embracing this culture of giving and um, really uh, responding to this uh, need to give back and make sure that the next generation of neurosurgeons will be even further ahead than, than we've uh, been able to get to up until this point. Well, Dr. Groff, you know, as someone in training myself, obviously the mission to educate the up-and-comers in the field and advance the field as a whole for the sake of our patients, um, you know, hits near and dear to my own heart. Um, but of course, thinking about, you know, these concepts of, uh, you know, giving, donation, giving back, for someone at my stage of the game, that's almost impossible because we're still coming up and joining the field ourselves. How can someone at, at my level, perhaps, who doesn't have the income of an attending, and doesn't have the experience to share with the newcomers and the young, how can we get involved and still try to advance this mission kind of from the ground level? Yeah, I think the answer is, uh, you know, the young neurosurgeons have really stepped up as a group and uh, emphasized that that opportunity. I think people are probably familiar with the uh, uh, Cushing Circle, um, and that's been a very high profile and very, very successful part of uh the NREF donations, but there's a, a version of that for young neurosurgeons that's 
you know, scaled down appropriately to address, you know, the issues that you are uh, highlighting, which is to say that you don't have all the disposable time or income that, you know, your more advanced uh, mentors and colleagues have. And so that's definitely an opportunity to get involved. And the thing I would say is this whole concept of a culture of giving really is putting the emphasis on the broad participation in NREF more so than the actual magnitude of any particular gift. And I think getting everyone at your level and at every level to contribute what they're able to um, is much more important than the absolute you know, magnitude of the donation. Yeah, that's a really good point, Mike. I think I think a culture of giving, we get so much. I, I think back one of the one of the great pleasures of doing this podcast is the opportunity to reflect back and sometimes speak to people who had a role in my life, uh, whether they were co-residents above me or attendings above me or, or researchers or whatnot. And and you think back like what it took, as you said, I mean, you you yourself are a pilot, right, Mike? What it takes to to grow, train, maintain like a F-35 Raptor pilot, then maintain their skills every year. If you look it up, it's astonishing. And it's it's also true for us. The cost, not only in terms of dollars, but in terms of uh, patience and time and to your family. And that giving back is really important. Now, on the other hand, right, for the younger listeners, there's so many benefits that you can derive from NREF. And I'm thinking about the Charlie Coons Foundation that awards, I think, 20 or 25 young surgeons to come to the spine section meeting every year. All these wonderful uh, and, and diverse uh, programs. Maybe you can walk us through some of those keynote programs that are in NREF for folks that are interested in getting support for their own development or research. Right. Well, as you mentioned, um... The Charlie Coons program has is, is, been very, very successful in terms of getting residents to attend the spine section meeting in particular. But there are, you know, more broadly speaking, opportunities for residents in, in really all the sections to uh, get some support in terms of bootstrapping their education and their professional development. Um, the other thing I would say is... Uh, that the clinical fellowships that residents have access to both in folded and as uh, uh, post-residency have been a very, very uh, uh, celebrated part of the NREF portfolio in terms of allowing young neurosurgeons to progress in their professional development. And Dr. Groff, I mean, you know, having thought about the role of senior neurosurgeons, uh, junior training neurosurgeons in participating in the mission of the NREF. You know, a lot of our listeners are not yet in the field, are pursuing a career in medicine, and a lot of our listeners are tangential to the field of neurosurgery, either in allied health specialties, families, uh, friends, loved ones of someone in the field or of some of our patients. Uh, What role is there for someone outside of our discipline to participate in the NREF and help advance its mission? Well, I mean, obviously, the uh, opportunity to uh, contribute philanthropically exists, you know, for everybody. I think what uh, I would ask those uh, people who are listening who aren't so directly related to neurosurgery, you know, is to take a step back and understand, like, the amazing uh, transformation, really, that neurosurgery has undergone even over the course of, you know, my lifetime. 
And I, I think back to, uh, you know, for me, one of the most pivotal operations in terms of the growth of neurosurgery would be taking care of a patient with an acoustic neuroma. And we think back in the time of Cushing that the mortality was 40% or something along those lines. And now we're really uh, taking on large acoustics and preserving facial function is, is truly remarkable with the advent of the microscope and monitoring and what have you. Um, if those people think about what it meant for a patient to be diagnosed with a basilar tip aneurysm, you know, even 15 years ago, and how that treatment has evolved with uh, endoscopic uh, modalities, and and you know things much more common like that Mike and I take care of, that having lumbar stenosis and a spondylolisthesis, you know, used to imply uh, six weeks in the hospital and a full twelve months of recovery, and now people are doing that even you know same day, and really getting back to their lives within, you know, eight weeks. Those are the things that we want to really celebrate and support and where that will take us over the next five to 10 years, you know, isn't uh, obviously entirely clear, but that's the mission that we want to get uh, everybody behind and supporting. You know, hearing you talk about these advances in the field in the past decades and over the course of your own career, it reminds me of a conversation we had previously with Dr. Mike Puzo who talked about in the time of his own career, he spent some time in the Navy. And when he came back to practice, um, that was right at the advent of the surgical microscope making its way into a neurosurgical practice, as you alluded to there. And he even talked about when Decadron came out into the field. And, and you know, we, we imagine, you know, neurosurgery today without, without Decadron and, and what, what an impact that makes on operating within the brain. Um, and so, as you say, looking forward to these technological advancements that might not even be imagined right now, but for even things um, outside of the skull, like like spine cases that you and Dr. Wang perform, are there any particular advances that you see on the horizon, though it, it's hard to define, or any particular avenues the NREF is currently pursuing um, that might bring us something interesting or, or something advancing in the next 5, 10, even 15 years? Well, I think the way NREF looks at that is that NREF funding really is um, just to start a spark and a kindling. Um, mm. But what we're really looking for is a bonfire that takes place 10 years down the road. And pursuant to that, you know, what we have recently learned and we've been uh, delving into a little bit deeper is that every dollar that goes into uh, NREF research funding results in uh, $36 of NIH funding you know, some number of years down the road. And so I think it's really, um, you know, amazing when you think that last year alone, NREF invested, you know, $1.8 million in research and education. To think that that's not uh, the whole sum of the contribution there, that it's the downstream effects that are really what's going to revolutionize our field and exactly what form that'll take you know, who knows, but that's really up to young guys such as yourself who are going to take this little bit of a catalyst and turn it into something that's really monumental. 
Yeah, Mike, I love that you bring that up. I think Russ Lonzer presented that, right? And and um, that data really speaks to this concept of the old ancient parable about teaching a man to fish, right? Uh, so NREF invests in promising uh, young neurosurgeons and medical students and residents. And then those folks go on to develop experience and expertise. And then they get extramural funding, if you will, from the NIH or DOD or, um, or uh, like the PCORI Foundation. And that, that funds their research at their institutions. And then I would add another tier, which is the product of that research to society, right? To assisting our patients or changing technology or spin-off startup companies, I mean, must be in the billions, right? In terms of what the actual ripple effect is downstream. And, and of course, not of that can be measured monetarily, can be measured in human lives, or, or health, right? And so that's that's really fascinating. And, and I would just sort of draw our listeners to the to the concept that we have as neurosurgeons where we are one of the only fields, maybe the only field where research is virtually a requirement of residency. So people always ask, well, why is it that there's a residency of general surgery at Community Hospital X? And I don't want to pick on any of them. But yeah, you know, those guys go and they learn how to do an operation or take out a gallbladder or whatever, and then they're fully trained and they're a surgeon. But we as neurosurgeons have felt, uh, going back to the Cushing days, that research, investigation, because we've always been at the front lines, has always been part and parcel of what we do, right? And and I think about um, the mortality rates Harvey Cushing confronted when he did surgeries, and and it was just, if you look it up, it's astronomical. Then he reduces it to like, what is it, 50%, right? And, and that was a giant advance. And people would look at that and go, well, I don't get it. But we get it that the world as it is today is not optimized and we need to do research to get there. And so, you know, my, my hat is really off to you, Mike. You, you spend a lot of time as a volunteer raising money, trying to get uh, research uh, funded for all of these young investigators out there. Is, is there a website or something people can go to, Mike, that they can sort of get more information if they're interested in yeah, uh, and maybe you can speak to the summer summer program as well for the medical students. Yeah, well, mo- most definitely. So uh, you know, you can Google NREF or go to nref.org, and you'll you'll find um, uh, uh, information there on the website. I think I did just want to circle back a little bit and and personally, uh, you know, uh, acknowledge Russ Lonzer for the the great contribution he's making there. But you know, picking up on the broader theme of what. Uh, the, the the impact that philanthropy has to society at large, I think, is uh, a big part of what NREF is all about. And I think the reason that neurosurgeons are so invested in research is that we know tomorrow can be better to, than today if we make the right investments. And that's part of what NREF is about, is to steward that investment appropriately and make sure it is as impactful as it can be. Um, I just recently ran across a uh, an article that Michael Porter from uh, Harvard Business School wrote about the role of philanthropy in today's society. And he touches upon exactly the same things that you've highlighted, Mike, in the sense that, you know, a, a, a contribution to a philanthropic foundation is not charity. It's really an investment in the betterment of society for the future. And we're really focused on making sure that neurosurgery is better, both from the resident training uh, opportunities that we've been talking about, but also uh, a big, big commitment to research to make sure that, you know, the uh, 
in 10 years from now, they're talking about advances beyond the ones that we've just kind of run through here today. Well, Dr. Groff, I think this uh, conversation today, looking back on the history of the NRF and looking into the future, as you say, has been very enlightening, eye-opening for, for me in particular, and hopefully for many of our listeners um, you know, in, in pre-medical training all the way through to attendings who can get involved in the NREF and help advance its mission. Um, many people often talk about you know, contributing to foundations su- such as NASA and, oh, why do we spend money trying to go to space? And then you can look at the laundry list of inventions that have come from NASA's work on different space shuttles. And similarly, if you look at advances in neurosurgery, we all know, you know, monopolar electric cautery was invented by Harvey Cushing, and Dr. Wang loves to list all the different hemostatic agents used by surgeons and, and proceduralists of any discipline that were all invented by neurosurgeons because hemostasis in the brain is so important. And so I think you could make a similar argument that any investment or any advancement made within neurosurgery will inevitably trickle down and spread to the rest of medical practice and help not only our patients, but patients across a variety of disciplines. So I I thank you so much for giving us your time and your experience today, um, helping to publicize and let all of our listeners know about the NREF and its mission and invite them to get on board and help us advance it. So Dr. Groff, thank you so much for joining us on the Neurosurgery Podcast today. Uh, It's a pleasure. And, And before we close, I did want to pivot to just talk a little bit about, you know, the pandemic has obviously had a big impact on all of neurosurgery and, and, uh, NREF's operations as well. You know, what the new normal will look like is probably uh, unclear, but we know some of these things that we've uh, pivoted to, such as uh, podcasts and online learning and things like we're doing today, are going to be a big part of the new normal. And on the NREF website, there are uh, lots of online opportunities for learning. Uh, And uh, uh, the way the communities embrace that and the registration for those online courses has really shot up through the roof. So I want to make sure listeners uh, uh, know that that opportunity is there and that uh, they can check that out if they have uh, time for some ongoing learning and missing out on the fact that it's been a while since we had a, uh, a meeting in person. Well, absolutely. Thank you for pointing that out, sir. And for our listeners, we'll link to that page in today's episode in the description. Um, and if you, you know, have any further questions, feel free to email us at neurosurgerypodcast at gmail.com. We'll get you connected to the right people and help you find all those online resources. Dr. Groff, thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, thank you, JP and Mike. Thanks for having me on. Hi, this is Angela Richardson, the Skull Basin Cerebrovascular Fellow at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, reminding you to sign up to contribute to the NREF through Amazon Smile. Registering with Amazon Smile doesn't cost you anything. You get the same products at the same prices with no cost. Amazon Smile will donate 0.5% of all eligible purchases to NREF when you shop. If you have any questions or problems with the registration, you can email us at neurosurgerypodcast at gmail.com.